Welcome to Accelerate Your Wealth, a podcast by Rebecca Robertson, founder and director of Evolution Financial Planning. We hope you enjoy the show and please feel free to leave us a review. It really does help. Feel free to connect with us on Facebook, LinkedIn and Instagram or head over to www.rebeccarobertson.co.uk or our sponsor, Evolution Financial Planning for regulated advice on www.evolutionfinancialplanning.co.uk forward slash podcast. So today we we're going to be talking to Tom or Thomas Mather. Um, he works at Agon, who are a life and pension provider. Tom is an international experienced researcher who's currently leading initiatives um, at Agon Centre of Behavioural Research. Um, here, his team delve into identifying tools, techniques, rules of thumb, um, and other interventions for facilitate long-term decisions with a focus on money and mindset. He's also the author of a financial well-being published book in Germany. Um, so if you are German speaking or can read German, um, then do go and check out his book, Serving as a Resource for German Speaking Community. And I will share the link for that in the show notes. I'd love to hear that book in English if I can convince him to do so. So in today's show, we're going to be talking about financial well-being, how that fits in with women, women thinking about their future and why they're not thinking about their future. And we're also going to be talking about um, human centric financial advice. Super interesting conversation, which someone like me, I completely geek out at. So I hope you enjoy it. I'd love to hear from you. If you enjoy today's show, please do leave a review on whichever platform you're on or go onto my socials and share it. I'd love for you to share the show with more people. And um, We're just over 30,000 downloads and I'd love to get to 35 by the end of this year, which is slightly ambitious, um, but I'd love your support um, if you can help me do that. Um, enjoy today's show and sending you lots of love. So I'm so happy to have you here today, Tom. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Rebecca. It's great to be here. No, I'm, I think I'm over 30, nearly 31,000 downloads, which for a little podcast, I think it's pretty good wow. going. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, if I can share some, you know, knowledge of what you do with people, I think that's amazing. First of all, can I call you Tom? Because obviously you're, you're on your email, you are Thomas. Yeah, everyone everyone calls me Tom. <laughs> that's fine. Okay. Um, and I've just got to ask, you're obviously in Edinburgh. It sounds, looks yeah. like you're at home, not in an office. What's the picture behind you? Those on the podcast, I'm sorry, you'd have to go and check it out on um, on my um, uh, YouTube account. Um, what, what's that picture? <laughs> that picture has been drawn by um, a friend of mine. Um, he is um, a waiter in an Iranian restaurant around the corner where I often go to um, and um, he he painted that for me it was a was a present I really liked it and uh, I thought I sort of honor <laughs> honor the gift by sort of popularly Love placing it. it in my, in my, he's in my a, background Iranian? Like, is, Iranian is, yeah exactly yeah. he's from Tehran uh, he's a waiter in that restaurant um, and during Covid he picked up painting uh, as a hobby and uh, that's what he did. Um, and he particularly likes Japanese. I they look Japanese. Yeah, exactly. I think there was some inspiration. To be honest, I've forgotten what the inspiration was. But there, there was there was a big artist, a big name artist, uh, who inspired him to do that particular work. And uh, yeah, he very different, really unusual. Yeah, thank you. And it adds a bit of color to the gray wall. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. I'm sure you know you've got a lovely home, so not expecting you to show me around. I just thought I would. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> show what have you got in your drawers that'd be a new thing to the podcast um, <laughs> I so pass that on thank you you <laughs> say so you're from Germany Berlin is that right I lived in Berlin yeah that's right I'm German I lived in Berlin for a long time before I moved to Edinburgh I studied in Berlin but I'm actually from Hamburg which is Germany's second city in the north uh, okay. the city exactly but 13 years ago I, I moved my wife and I we moved both from from Berlin at the time to Edinburgh that's right why Edinburgh it's colder it's windy. I mean, not my family are from Scotland, so much respect right. for <laughs> people. So yeah. not just in the Scottish. I know how cold it is. Um, was it work orientated change? I mean, I think Edinburgh is the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful cities in in Europe. Really, um, yeah. it's it's the right size. Uh, fair enough. It is <laughs> it is cold, but uh, or colder, 
It's not that rainy, actually. It's more the North Sea wind um, that sort of gets you down sometimes. But mm-hmm. I mean, it's got such a beautiful city center, the, the old town, the new town. We live uh, close to the to the heart of the new town and what's called the third new town. Um, and yeah, it's got a very own character. Um, I, I love the Edinburgh mindset, which is a very sort of liberal you know, it doesn't matter where you're from, as long as you contribute, you're one of ours and, you know, that type yeah. of mindset. Uh, so, okay. yeah, we felt when we moved here 13 years ago, we felt very welcomed um, and, uh, yeah. yeah, at home. Yeah. yeah, no, it's great. My, my family are all from Glasgow, not particularly right. so it's slightly different. Um, and my, my, the rougher side of Glasgow, shall we say. Right, um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's where originally, but my, my granddad's from Ayrshire. Ayrshire um, right, okay, Ayrshire, yeah. Uh, yeah. sort of slightly further south of Glasgow but, yeah, yeah. Um, and my dad was born in Scotland so I have um, much love to my ancestry um, <laughs> I, I was brought up by my dad and my granddad so um, I, if you started speaking sort of pure Glasgow Scottish <laughs> I, I, I'd understand what you're saying oh um, wow okay yeah no, yeah I, do, I don't know if you wrote, do you know Rob is it Nesbitt was it, was it Nesbitt well, there was a character um a Glasgow Scottish comedian, and I'm sure his name was Nesbitt. Um, and I, All right. my husband listens to like years ago. He was listening to right. these sketches, and he couldn't understand a word he was saying. I was like, I knew exactly what he was saying. <laughs> strong accent. Um, but you've been in researching a long time, right? You've always had a fascination with research. Yeah, that's right. So I studied social anthropology um, in in first in Hamburg, and then moved to Berlin for that. First in the more in the health realm. Yeah, and that was um, the NHS, right? For um, that's right. The Scottish yeah. government uh, yeah. is where I started here um, because that was connecting quite nicely with what I did my PhD on, uh, which was to do the heart, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah, it was to do I've with. Been, I've been um, LinkedIn stalking you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've done your research. Very good. Um, so exactly, it was all about how um, we can help people who have chronic heart failure with modern telecommunications, uh, telemedical solutions. I guess you know this is something that only occurred to me a little later. The question that really interested me I think from pretty early on is why we find it so hard to make good long-term decisions for ourselves when you know the the same problem applies in health pretty you know often that the doctors tell us what we've got to do uh, so as to live with a chronic illness but we find it really hard I mean those with chronic heart failure just to pick up that example they know they should avoid too much coffee and cake and uh, you know all those things but then you know you are at a exactly yeah of course you do it right and um and those telemedical solutions at the time they were there to sort of tell them you know not, not remind them this is not what you ought to be doing uh, and of course like that helps. Nag. <laughs> exactly it had a bit of a had a bit of success and now of course the in in the in the wealth sector or you know now now in pensions and as we think about the right financial conduct it's a similar thing right we we find it intrinsically quite hard to make good long-term decisions just because having that that mindset is is really is really difficult we're not necessarily equipped to making good long-term decisions so that's so is that immediate immediate need that we sort of go oh but i really fancy it or yeah i really want to do this thing not the long-term benefit yeah yeah yeah, absolutely. And of course, that comes from, I mean, anthropologically speaking, right? I mean, we were, um, you know, as a, as, a, as a species, we are like 200,000 years old. And of course, you know, back then when we were living in small bands and, you know, uh, wandering uh, the countryside, you know, then this uh, instant gratification was a good thing to be dealing with problems that we were faced with. Um, and, yeah. and that's why, you know, we are equipped that way. But of course, the problem is that we are living in much more complex and diverse contexts nowadays. So these instincts of the past, they're not necessarily serving us well um, in all in all situations. They often do serve us well, but in some cases they don't. And mm. how we can, you know, work out how to better address those instincts and emotions and beliefs and habits and context factors, etc. Um, that is something that I'm interested right? in. 
that's a, you know you know to stop me eating cake is just you know that's a tricky one but I get I should be putting into a pension because it's part of the industry that I'm part of um you know well, I was speaking to a, a, a yoga instructor yesterday and she's running a retreat in March lovely lady lovely Linda if you're listening Linda um and I'm looking to go on her retreat and I've been to her house and she eats so healthily she's so into it and she, she's just it's a she's just like a scientist with food it's, it mm. fascinates me and mm. there's me eating a packet of crisps <laughs> um and I <laughs> It is it's it's hard, right? To make yeah. that like I oh, know that's not I shouldn't be having those crisps, but it's it's really hard to make those shifting changes and and, yeah. like, and I think for women, we I was talking at the Financial Times, um, the name dropping, <laughs> um, a conference like a week or so ago, yeah, and we were talking about um women on the state. It was a part of a panel. We were talking about women, and we were talking about how women tend to put off those longer term financial mm. decisions mm. maybe because there it's not immediate gratification necessary for themselves although it might it might be for their hair getting done and I'm not trying to use a patronizing sort of stereotype here mm. but um if you look at the world's wealth and you look at how the power of women and what we have mm. we have such an immense buying power mm. it's worth billions of pounds worldwide yeah. but the majority of the money that we spend is not on our health or our wealth it's on what mm. we look like mm. and it's on cosmetic products so i'm saying this statistically like you're the statistic yeah. research here you probably got more research on this but um we do spend a lot of money on how we look so yeah. either prioritizing botox now seems to be mm. a bit of a popular trend i have actually a client who sent me the her budget planner and it says cosmetics and she has a budget for her cosmetics cosmetic surgery every year. So we're we're talking quite wow. serious things. Yeah. Especially women around their 50s who are getting that little bit older. Um yeah. or it's on their kids. So they're prioritizing their kids' football boots, they're prioritizing mm. the the kids um, you know, uh, might be getting a tutor to get them mm. into the grammar school. Um, it might be that, you know, the little Mary likes to do ballet. They're prioritizing mm. those things. Mm. Um, for their children's future, yeah. not their own. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow, there's a lot, a lot in that. I guess the first thing I would say is that the same expense, the same purchase, can be good or bad depending on its context. Yeah. So I mean, or even you know whatever. Really, the you know the odd sort of binge on cake or crisps or whatever you know i don't think it's like it's always wrong yeah so sometimes you know you 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 need that and um it's it's all about like balancing yeah. the needs of your present self as well as the needs of your future self that's why we talk about financial well-being because it's all about those trade-offs that you're needing to that you're needing to do but you're onto something there of course with the gender aspect and the thing that comes to mind here is a study that we did at our center for behavioral research where we looked into how households arrange their finances and what we did was we invited um members of a household where there were you know heterosexual couples in so obviously yeah. you know we excluded homosexual couples for obvious reasons in this in this circum in this context and we looked at we asked the men and the women who were in that relationship, we asked them who in your household is responsible for how much to spend on grocery shopping and how much to spend on yeah. Christmas presents and how much I don't to know the answer so, to this. So, yeah. So exactly. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, the the most people said we're both equally responsible, but then the the difference between men and women who said I'm responsible or my partner is responsible was of course quite stereotypical with yeah. women saying I'm in charge of how much to spend on grocery shopping and I'm in charge on how much to spend for you know Christmas present and the child care etc all those things and yeah women saying it's my partner who's in charge of how much to spend on the future or how much to save for the future or the opposite you know men saying I'm in charge for how much to save for the future and my partner is in charge of how much to spend on grocery shopping like day-to-day -day sort of running households yeah is is, is the female which is why when they go and get a part-time job or they go and get go back to work it's to fulfill that day-to-day -day lifestyle yeah rather than paying into their pension exactly so so I think the the bottom line here is that the way and this is a sort of behavioral economic explanation perhaps that 
the way households arrange their finances, not just women to think short term and not just men to think long term. Okay, mm -hmm. so that's a, as I say, that's a, that's a behavioral economic uh, argument because it looks at this, you know, nudging and how context factors sort of enable or impede you, etc. I guess though, and you were hinting at that as well. There is perhaps something deeper happening as well, um, and and that is you know, emotional drivers or some some sort of deeper instincts that, to be honest, I'm not necessarily, you know, neither by nature, if you will, um, nor by from the data that I have well equipped to to talk about. But I guess the thing that I really find interesting is that women seem to be finding it harder, perhaps on an emotional level to be thinking long term and to be thinking about their future or let me put it that way to be uh, positively um, and um, intuitively and concretely connected to the needs and wishes and requirements of their future selves yeah. okay and that is something that from the research that we've done is so important to achieve long-term financial outcomes good long-term financial outcomes but even in fact even present day financial outcomes yeah so we we know yeah. that people who have that long-term mental time horizon they of course they would save more in a retirement plan but they are also less likely to have debt they're more likely to have emergency savings they're more likely to have the insurance products that we consider advisable etc so to have that future oriented mindset is really important to, to have that concrete and meaningful connection to the needs of your future self but what you were hinting at here, you know, the um, uh, likelihood to spend a lot of money on um, products that get rid of wrinkles or that remove gray hair or that, you know, although they, they are, of course, I mean, you know, the, the fact is, you know, it's an anti-aging, it's anti-aging product. So there you have it, you know, the very fact that we have an anti-aging yeah. market, which really suppresses the the signs of aging as a society just to mention not yeah we're encouraged to not age women are not celebrated to be to to age yeah. you look yeah. at tom cruise you look at any of the top you know 80s and 90s um sort of shut sh big big you know like those sort of big actors yeah um, they, they're they're aging and they're those men are celebrated yeah whereas women aren't and what i loved recently just just because i've shared it on facebook this morning was pamela anderson went to i think it was paris fashion week oh, and yeah. she turned up with no makeup absolutely <laughs> no makeup yeah. on yeah, yeah talking pamela anderson here like yeah. we're talking, you know the yeah. massive pop art like idol of the 70s the 80s and 90s yes. Um, and I think it was Jamie Lee Curtis um, tweeted her or messaged, did something on social media celebrating. And Jamie Lee Curtis is the kind of woman to sort of be banging that drum. Mm. And we don't have enough role models doing that. So I'm I'm not. Um, I think it, it, it's it's it's. I'm not blaming women. I mean, I'm not. No. I dye my hair. I, I had really orangey and grey roots, so I do I do dye my hair. And yeah. I'm not dissing anyone who has cosmetic surgery and there's a lot of you know no. internal trauma and identity issues and I'm, I'm, I, there's a whole bag of other stuff going yes. on um but it, it we we're almost we're not encouraged we're not empowered to to, yes. to to think of ourselves that way yeah exactly so absolutely this is again to my point earlier you know this is not to say that only because you dye your hair you know you have the wrong attitude to aging or so you know that's no, that's no. what i'm saying i was but it is important to understand deeper drivers and emotions and instincts, et cetera, that drive that behavior. I think that is, a, yeah. you know, that the type of self-knowledge is a really important asset uh, for, for long-term financial well-being. But why do women recognize that they're starting to see their aging, therefore they can see their future and then go, I want to slow this down. <laughs> Whether yeah. I've got some eye cream because I get puffy eyes and yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I know you're you're obviously a gentleman, so I, I but this is a, like a female led podcast. I've been talking quite a lot recently. I'm premenopausal or perimenopausal. Mm. Yeah. Um, your skin starts to thin. Your yeah. hair starts to fall out. You start yeah. getting hair in places you don't want hair. Um, yeah. you're, you start to change, right? So then you're trying to, you know, nat just naturally as I can slow that process down. Yeah. And I can recognize that. But so mm. why can't we? We can. We can. I guess it's because it's visual. Mm. But why can't we see our future, our financial future? Why can't we link that? And I know I remember when you I heard you talk in Birmingham a couple of mm. weeks ago. You talked about the Merrill Lynch, a Merrill Edge, is it Merrill yeah. Edge tool, which is what came from America. I don't know if everyone remembers it on Facebook, where you would do a scan of your your face and it would age you. 
And you were saying that you didn't think it worked for women, if I remember rightly. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, I will say that, first of all, so this this is going back to really robust and path-breaking research that has been done 10, 12 years ago um, out of um, Hal Hirschfield's team. And Hal Hirschfield is really doing great work um, in that space. And he has he has published a book on that particular subject, Visualize Your Future Self, Meet Your Future Self. Um, I, so so it's, it's great. It's been translated into practice, into propositions or tools that people can use so as to picture their future self. And the way it was being done was a quite literal application of this picture your future self right and that you upload a picture of yourself or you take a picture of yourself on your phone and then you're being using some ai you're being aged and you know you you get those wrinkles and you get that gray hair etc you know again i will say in fairness um that a lot of positive feedback has been received on that approach including by you know many many women and many thought leaders uh, in the States who are, uh, you know, working in this area that we are exploring here as well. We had a hunch that potentially it isn't going down that well um, among women. Just this started off with anecdotal feedback uh, that we were just getting in our circles, but then we did test it a bit more robustly in a study that was conducted here in the UK. And perhaps, you know, this is context, you know, perhaps there's something UK specific versus how this how the same thing lands in the US. I don't know. Um, that that might be interesting. But certainly when we did test that intervention with women, and we subsequently explained, well, you know, this is a tool that is intended to help you picture your retirement and you know help you save for retirement, etc. There were women who came back to say, well, that just makes me want to take Botox. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, that goes back to my point that I was making but, earlier on, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and we, and we did see also, I mean, even, you know, you could potentially ask questions, well, perhaps that aging AI that we were using wasn't perhaps as good as what was initially being used in the States or so. But even if you just asked in the general public, like, would you want to see yourself see and yourself. You, know, you wouldn't no. phrase it that way but you know you can you can see there's a big difference between the propensity of men to be saying yeah yeah i'd be up for that versus the propensity of women to say yeah you know they go 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 for it <laughs> that's it's it's very unlikely so it hits a nerve i think yeah. um and and that's why when we started uh, you know exploring what else might be done we felt yeah something that that doesn't use quite that literal application of right. uh, you know, picture your future self yeah for that reason i almost feel like the mat the, what would be the male equivalent like in my head i'm I, and i don't want to say out loud what i'm thinking because it's very crude but what <laughs> would be the male equivalent that would trigger men let me show you a picture of a, a, a part of your body of your future <laughs> self and what that would look like in 20 yeah. years time yeah. would go, i don't want to see that you can guess you know fill in the blanks yeah. what i'm thinking yeah. um, because you know anyway i i will just that's my my, my brain it just works yeah. <laughs> no, no, fair enough. You, you know what I will say though. I, I think perhaps um, we're reaching reaching a bit of equity though here, um, or equality, perhaps in the wrong sense. But what I will say is that I know of men who have the same issues around aging and the signs of aging, especially. And this is just anecdotal. This isn't based on any hard, big, large scale study or so. But especially in my experience, when they work for startups, yeah. yeah. So when when men work for startups and all of a sudden they see, you know, there's visual impairment or whatever, you know, they need glasses or they get gray hair, etc. Yeah. They're getting really concerned about this because um, it's signs of aging. That in a, yeah, <laughs> that in a, in a, in a culture, in a, in a startup culture that um, celebrates, uh, you know, dynamism and, yeah. uh, you know, uh, flexibility and agility and, you know, all those things. Yeah. It doesn't... It, aging doesn't sit well even with men so I yeah. will say that you know it's not no, just I definitely, and I, I would also say that I think there's a generational thing of like mm. you know my daughter's 15 so but you know the, the 20s the 20 year olds and some of the early 30 year olds are that sort of Instagram generation where the way you look is much more important and there is a lot more stigma for boys mm. and men now around the way that they look yeah 
you know, you know, they've got to have a certain muscles and they're fit. And yeah. you know, I hear my daughter talking like that about, oh no, he's not fit enough. He doesn't play football or rugby, <laughs> mum. I can't, I'm not injured. So there is, I think, a generational change where yeah. I think in maybe 10 or 15 years time, more men will have an issue with maybe that app. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I could, t- I'm fascinated by this stuff, Tom, and mm. I, I think I could talk to you all day. Um, and there's so much I want to talk to you about today. Um, I was having a look um, on, I was stalking you on your LinkedIn. Yeah. And um, I noticed that um, with Aegon, you've done a 2022, which is, is good because it's a bit more up to date. It's post COVID. So that's good. Mm. Um, which is a financial well-being um, study. Yeah. And I was having a flick through um, this report and um, no, nothing is sort of overly surprising, but I'd love to hear sort of your insights into it. And some of the key yep. findings from the research were 30% of the population um, in the UK have experienced some sort of financial trouble in the last two years. Mm. 30%. That's not that much. I mean, that's a lot. That yep. is a lot of people. But considering we've had COVID, that's actually yeah. the proportion yeah, I, I actually thought it would have thought it was more. Yeah. Um, if you want to jump in and add anything, please. Yeah, do. sure. So the, the first thing I would say um, is this report is about to get updated, and it's actually really um, <laughs> very accessible. You just go on to Aegon's website, aegon.co.uk, and you flip down, scroll down a little bit on that homepage, and a bit further down there's that link to to the flipbook that you have up there. Okay, and, right. Thanks for um, saying that. It is, it is about to get updated with 2023 data, so we're just coming out of that field work um, that was conducted in July and August. There isn't actually, and perhaps that is surprising in itself, there isn't a lot of data that needs updated. Uh, and that's, of course, I would say that is surprising because we had, of course, the cost of living crisis and high levels of mm, inflation yeah. and energy uh, costs, etc. In yeah. the meantime, um, the share of folk who say that they have too much debt or that uh, they have only you know less than 100 pounds left at the end of the month or um, you know that they feel stressed or anxious and you know all those that hasn't increased a lot it has increased a little bit but it hasn't increased perhaps as much yeah as you as you as you would expect and perhaps that's a good thing i uh, surprising thing and perhaps not quite what you would pick up when just my like local shopping centre is always so busy like it's mobbed yeah. every weekend you think people haven't got any money but they quite obviously have or they're spending on credit cards <laughs> yeah potentially I mean I think this is perhaps you know what the I guess perhaps worth taking a step back very quick and and just to highlight what we were wanting to bring to the fore with this particular um you know, notion of financial well-being, because, you know, I think it's fair to say that there will never be the one and only objective definition of what financial well-being actually is. I mean, mm-hmm. there's tons of definitions out there. It's always a, a mix of, you know, what is objectively happening in your bank account, but also, you know, what's happening in the head. Yeah, what's happening mm-hmm. in the bank account, what's happening in the head. And you talked about yeah. this in your last episode, money and mindset, you know, that's really important. Um, I think what perhaps is a bit underappreciated on the on the money side is the long-term perspective okay so we are very good at looking at present day issues we're looking at um you know the high levels of debt the lack of emergency savings the inability of people to make their ends meet etc all those things so that's worthwhile yeah, and noble and relevant on here it's like 52% of people couldn't live on their emergency savings for more than 3 months yeah yeah exactly yeah. so so all those things and and that is important right that that yeah. is really important and that's that we talk about it as a result as well but i think the thing that was sort of missing in this in this debate even in the cost of living debate was missing was the appreciation that what is happening here and now is happening within a bigger picture yeah and the bigger picture is that we are living longer healthier lives you know yeah. as a species as a group we're living longer healthier lives we're becoming older and we're yeah. living health we, 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 we live longer more healthily okay yeah and as a result you know that has numerous consequences but one of the consequences is that perhaps we've got to appreciate that in the longer healthier lives that we're living it is inevitable that some sort of crises will happen along the way 
Yeah. So it's again, I mean, even statistically, you know, we we know of all sorts of crises that there were for our parents, for our grandparents, for our grandparents' parents, etc. You know, why would it be that it was only them who were affected by crisis? You know, of yeah. course, you know, it's inevitable that there will be some cause, and we had, of course, our fair share of crisis. We had. A global health crisis, political crisis, economic crisis, financial crisis. Chances are, many of your listeners and viewers, they would would have had the odd sort of personal crisis, be that divorce or illness, or you know, it's inevitable. But yeah. I think the the question is a little like, if if it is inevitable that crises will happen, the question is more, you know, how are you financially and mentally prepared for it to happen? Now that's a big thing, you know, how you're financially and mentally prepared, and seeing it in that. Uh, seeing it in that bigger context the fact that we are living longer healthier lives that you know longevity is a is a real thing yeah um, definitely yeah I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean i the we sort of have to predict when people are going to die with our job yeah <laughs> doing, you know we're either doing projections for you know long term as in yeah. their 30s and 40s now and we're looking at you know 20 30 40 years time or they're in their 60s and we're trying to work out should they take an annuity or not which for those yeah. listening are like a guaranteed fixed pensionable income. Um, and we're sort of saying, okay, well, is 20 years enough? Is 25 years enough? Mm. Um, you know, are you going to live to 91, 96? You know, mm. um, yeah. <laughs> you know we, are, we are looking on the, the far end of 80s and early 90s. Um, whereas if you think about my grandparents who passed away around uh, like 15, 15, 20 years ago, um, they were of a generation of a very hard-working Scottish mm. upbringing and my granddad worked in the mines and um, mm. my nan worked in um, sewing factories mm. so they they, they they didn't have the health care that we have now they did they had yeah. you know, they wasn't having flexible working yeah. um, my granddad had many injuries in the mines which caused him many health concerns and health yeah. problems um, he had emphysema um, and he had that for many, many years. He was very poorly for many, many years. So, yeah, yeah I totally agree. We, we we don't have the same health issues. We have, although the NHS is struggling massively right now, yeah. we still have um, a, 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 the medication and the scientific research um, and the um, sort of, well, things have moved on, right? We've got we things yeah. have got better in terms yeah. of the medical prevention. So, yes, we are naturally living longer. Yeah. Um, but I think people don't like to think about what if the worst was to happen. You know, yeah. I've got a client recently um, who had health cover at work. He had death in service at work um, and he was but he was between jobs. Mm. Um, he was, he was um, leaving one job, going to another. He was starting a new mm. job on the Monday. Um, but on the Friday, um, he had a stroke mm. and he was 49 when he had the oh, stroke. Bummer. Yeah really bad really bad yeah, yeah and the first thing you know I've had clients in those situations where fortunately one client had cancer and it's when you have those phone calls saying Rebecca help me you mm. think quite literally excuse my language oh shit mm. what did we put in place did we put any insurances in place if we yeah. didn't have they got enough money can we draw on it will they live on it could he retire yeah. could yeah. you know could he stop work yeah. Um, but people don't want to think that those things are going to happen to yeah. you. Just, you just sort of think, you know, you want to think like hope for the best. Yeah. As I say, hope for the best, plan for the worst. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these are exactly the sort of trade-offs um, that that you've got to make yeah, in 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 the longer, healthier lives that we're living. And there they are in you know, there's there's even you know if those personal disasters don't hit you there's 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 numerous complex questions um i mean you know young parents like do i do i take this do i take this low paid job because mm. it's not worth it perhaps to pay the money just for a childcare provider um yeah. you know do i um save for retirement or do i save to put down to be able to put down a, a, a deposit for home for, for yeah. more? exactly like all those that really really complex decisions that we are faced with now as a result of yeah longevity of us living longevity, living yeah. longer that we've got to make all those trade-offs for happiness now and happiness that was my next question so what financial well-being is surely led by happiness right 
yeah and, and you score it in that way so I was looking at this assessment that you've done and I were looking at the scoring of your financial well-being mm-hmm. and um it looks like and you can tell me if I'm wrong that happiness yeah. future self written plans social social comparisons mm. and long-term perspective are all the mindset pieces around right. financial well-being yes um, and how, how people score them so how did how did you find people scored those from your survey so the so what we are doing there is we are i mentioned it before we have conducted this big study in the in, in the country that's based on 10,000 interviews that we've done right. um, in the in the uk as a whole that was nationally representatives who were looking at you know, genders represented fairly, the age groups, the regions, yeah. the sociodemographic makeup, et cetera, all those things is being fairly represented. And then we ask questions that allow us to quantify how the UK's financial well-being is along the five money building blocks that we're talking about in that flip book, as well as the five mindset building blocks. And you mentioned them yeah. there about knowledge of what makes you happy. It's about long-term mental time horizons, heavy social comparisons, um, a long-term plan and a sort of like yeah, crisis resilient mindset. And income, long-term savings, a strong safety net, debt and assets. They were the money building blocks. Part. They're, they're the money building blocks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're perhaps less surprising. I think this is pretty much sort of, um, you know, accepted standard that these are important types of financial assets that you should have. And of course, you know, that there, there, there are financial components um, within financial well-being, but there are, and that's that's the whole point that it's not just about money it's also about mindset but how can we systematically and methodologically think through mindset and that's where we bring in where we weave in those five building blocks there on the mindset side and what is happening in that particular survey that you brought up or that sort of self-assessment is where your score is being compared to the general public as a whole and then it sort of shows you like where you under index where you're performing worse than the general public versus where you over-index or where you're doing better. And uh, as a result, you're played back some improvement opportunity, improvement opportunities or suggestions rather. And if it is in relation to that happiness point, yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. Happiness is important to financial well-being. And I mean, really, you know, financial well-being is about the ability to spend, earn, and manage money in line with what makes you happy and in line with what makes you happy today, tomorrow and beyond. Yeah. So right. it's, it's easy to say, right. But the, but of course, you know, the, the fact is you won't be able to spend, earn and manage money in line with what makes you happy. If you do not even have an understanding of what, what makes you happy in the first place. Yeah. yeah exactly. And when we speak about happiness, we're not speaking, you know, there's like, Happiness is a word that is under stress quite a bit, right? It's, uh, it's, and, and I, and I will say, I mean, no offense to your American viewers and listeners, but I will say that oftentimes my interpretation anyway, is that the way happiness is being talked about in the States, especially is, is perhaps not especially helpful because it's these quite grand terms, you know, and it's like connect to your mission statement and, you know, look into, um, you know, the, the, the work that comes out like in, in context of grit, you know, what's your deeper motives, what's your values. And, you know, it's quite, that is quite a, I find that is really very ambitious. And, and I mean, you know, perhaps it's, uh, perhaps it's helpful, but I think it is, it is perhaps unnecessarily putting people under a lot of stress that, oh my God, you know, I have enough, I have enough, uh, you know, to do. (laughs) Yeah, I have enough to think about, you know, I can't now sit down and, you know, craft a mission statement or, you know, think about, you know, what are the, you know, what is it, how I drive happiness in my community or whatever. Um, So when we speak about this happiness, it it was actually really inspired by the work that comes out of Paul Dolan at LSE, the behavioral scientist. Uh, London School of Economics, uh, when, you know, I may, perhaps that's not the way he would (laughs) summarize it, but I think it is actually a quite mundane understanding of what is happiness. And what he looks into is, you know, what are the, like, every day, what are the things, experiences, activities that give you gratification, that give you joy, that make you feel relaxed, okay? That could be, like, really simple things that could be yeah. you know dropping the school the, the kids off at school cool. or, um... I had this on a, um, a a reel I was I was I was Facebook flicking on a reels like you do I was just trying to avoid working I think um and there was a podcast um interview that was recorded a bit like this one yeah. um, and it was a video and it was this guy um who's a psych I think a psychotherapist of some description yeah 
And he was saying, how can you make your everyday Wednesday morning, like your your ha- the happiness that you find like every day. So every yeah. day is as great as a your, your most perfect Wednesday morning. So if you think yeah. about the way you get up, what you do in the morning, yeah. your routine, like how do you make your best life mm. like every day rather mm. than, you know, um, I your whole life is miserable, but you have your two week holiday once a year, and those two yeah, days, yeah, you know, yeah. we're sort of taught to be a bit like that, aren't we? In terms of, you know, I'm going to put up with my job, I hate my life, but it's okay. Yeah. I'm going, I'm going to uh, Magaluf on, on the, you know, eight months time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Tenerife in, you know, ten yeah. months time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And it's really, I mean, the point is, uh, and again, that is Paul Dolan's point is to think about the experience rather than like what we tell ourselves. Um, I mean, a good example is perhaps a, a, a you know, here a, a friend of mine here in Edinburgh, actually, who is um, a scientist and who describes like, you know, my identity as a scientist. I love being a scientist. I think it's great to be, to be in charge of a lab at the university of Edinburgh, et cetera. You know, so she, she's, she's saying that that's evaluation, but the experience is, there's a lot of students that need managed. There are like grant applications she needs to write. There's permanently supplier issues with like, you know, to do with, with lab uh, supplies, et cetera. So what she's describing is happening on an everyday level. It sounds really stressful and sounds like, yeah. you know, so- sounds hard. But then she continued, like she evaluates in the end. But, you know, I'm a scientist. I love being a scientist. And like, well, yeah. you know, just li- listen to how you describe what's happening in, in, in your life. Day day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I think sometimes we have to question whether that's our ego because we like the status, you know. Yeah, absolutely. She's, like that. she's been how many years at university to sort of have this sort of high. And again, yeah. that's a bit of a society that we, um, you know, like my daughter, um, she may or may not go to university it's fine whichever way she goes yeah Um, and she wants to work with horses so I'm encouraging her to um business yeah so she cannot be the one mucking out the stables every day when she's Mm -hmm. still 40 um she could potentially be running a stable so I think yeah yeah, we're sort of how we encourage people to develop their career is is quite a factor one point I picked up on the research and then I've I've got another Mm -hmm. question I wanted to ask you after that yeah I'm sure we could talk. I I just find it fascinating. Um, One of the things that found is that our research found that higher being a higher earner doesn't necessarily equate to being a long-term saver. If a saver has a connection to their future self, understands what gives them uh, joy and purpose, they find long-term perspective. Being one of the highest earners doesn't necessarily mean that you have a long-term perspective. One of the 32%... Uh, of higher earners who are big long-term savers by the ability to connect with their future self so compared to um it's eight percent is it uh eight nineteen percent of higher earners who are big long-term savers by the degree of understanding of what gives them joy and yes yeah that way Mm -hmm. i'll show you i'll show you the little thing that i'm looking at it looks yeah yeah exactly no exactly so this is this is, I think, when we just, uh, this th- th- this chart is quite noisy, but what it is showing, um, and I'm now perhaps confused because I know the more up-to-date figures when the same trend that we okay. had published on the on the back of the two- 2022 data is being uh, observed in the latest iteration as well. So I-, I think the finding there was that when you are a long-term, se- when you are a high earner, so there's a lot of statistics happening here. So I just like express this in quite banal terms. Okay. Yeah. But if you are a um, high earner and you have a meaningful and strong connection to your future self, you're right. four times more likely, four times more likely than a high earner with a vague connection to your future self, to the future self, to be saving um, significantly in your retirement plan. Okay, so the, and and this is this is going back to this very basic point that we are seeking to make here that it's not just to do with money or it's not just to do with what's happening in your bank account. It's also to do with what's happening in your head, yeah, right. um, and, and to do with your mindset. And that, in fact, you know that to to perhaps weave in a gender perspective here again, um, because when we speak about the gender wealth gap. Yeah, yes. or the gender pension gap we yes. typically the way we typically talk about it is 
that we say, well, because there's a gender pay gap, there is inevitably further down the line a gender wealth gap or gender pension gap. Yeah. And I mean, you know, this is not to say that this is a flawed argument because money isn't important. Of course, money is important, right? So, uh, and, and this is this is what I'm. Th this is what we're saying. You know, money of course is important. It's but it's money and mindset. Yeah, and that is why some of those things that we talked about earlier, why having a long-term mental time horizon and why it really matters that households arrange their finances in a way that nudges women to think short-term and nudges men to think long-term, why that is so important. Yeah. 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 When, we, when I was at the, the Financial Times event, um, one of the questions from one of the advisors in the forum, in the, in the group, um, was um, when what do we do when women say, um, I don't know, I'm not really bothered about this this whole conversation. My husband deals with that. Yeah. Um, and I smiled because I don't get those kind of clients. My mm. clients are typically leading it. So they're the female that runs the, pur the purse strings and are thinking of the future. Yeah. And sometimes, not always, they're leading it so much that they're actually saying, I'm going to leave my partner behind in this conversation because they're not willing to have it. They're in debt. They've got loads of financial problems. I'm actually doing this on my own. It's, it's mm. not always as a couple. Mm. Um, so I don't have the my husband's dealing with it. Yeah. Or the... Um, I'm um, I'm leaving my husband behind in, in this decision making because he can't mm. keep up with me. <laughs> so yeah. um, I think sometimes uh, we have to be asking some of the really good questions of advisors because we, yeah. we sort of fall into um, depending on our marketing and how we put mm. ourselves out there, what kind of clients that we get. And similar, yeah, there's another gentleman, another financial advisor that asked the question. Um, I've got a couple; they both earn really well. Both of them are actually doing really well in their careers is this not this pension gap is this um you know a uh, pay gap is, is is becoming is this going to solve itself mm. um and there was another fun female financial advisor on the stage with me and her point was is in 10 years time do you think there'll be as much men at home looking after children and caring for children as there is women now mm. or it it won't change and my 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 story was that I got made redundant when I was 14 weeks pregnant. I was 28. Wow. Um, and I was earning as much, if not more than my husband with bonuses mm. at that point. Um, and his, I had to take a, this was in 08. So the 2008 recession, mm. um, my whole career changed. And that was my answer to the gentleman saying, yes, I, I was a high flying woman, but as soon as you have children, the whole, th the whole landscape mm. changes. Yeah. Um, so um, I'm not sure what my point was. I felt like I just went on a rant there, but I think. It was yeah. Yeah. So no, no, I get it. I mean, you know, you know what I, th there's a really interesting <coughs> data point that I came across when I was holidaying in Austria, actually, this year in the summer. And, Is that what uh, you do in your spare time? Additional so, researching? No, no, I, I was just, a, no, honestly, I wasn't doing research, but I was sitting in a cafe, I was picking up a local newspaper, and then this article jumped at me. Okay. Um, it was really interesting because it was showing the propensity of women in different parts of Austria to work part-time and it was correlated with childcare provision right? Okay? because the standard argument of course goes that women are more likely to be working part-time because childcare provision is so bad right yeah. but what was really interesting about that particular article was that the the level of childcare provision in Austria is quite different in different parts of the country Vienna is liberal and very progressive and 95, a staggering 95% of children between zero and five are going into full-time childcare. Wow. Okay? 95%. That wow. compares to Tirol, uh, which is much more rural and, you know, the Alps and uh, where it is less than 50% of the children that go into uh, full-time uh, childcare. However, the share of women pa working part-time is almost the same in Vienna as well as Tirol. Ah, so, we, oh. so we, is that down to like the amount of like what we call it? What do we call it? We call it um like the 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 mental strain because there's still even with the children in full time care. Like I've got my husband works in London. He sometimes has to go into London. My yeah. kids school full time. However, I do all the school pickups, all the school drop offs, all yeah. the clubs. All, I've got horses. I, like there's there's a mental strain on women potentially. Potentially, it's 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 to do with bandwidth, exactly, and all sorts of um, activities yeah. that need to happen in the household as well. But, you know, my hunch is that when we discuss things like gender pension gap or gender wealth gap or gender pay gap or so, that we're quickly defaulting to rational decisions 
for why that may be the case and rushing to rational solutions. Yeah. But actually, potentially, there's something much deeper happening. And, you know, this is going back to what we talked about earlier, you know, perhaps, you know, ability to have a future oriented mindset, perhaps deeper drivers like shame around aging or uh, avoidance uh, and fatalism. Yeah, or, or, you know, or, like... or, or only needing to work part time because the partner's earning enough yeah. and they just think, well, actually, I'll just earn enough money to pay for the holidays and I'll just well, earn yeah. enough money to sort of exactly to, to have a tutor kind of money. Um, yeah. lifestyle rather yeah. than bigger impact more ambition um, and and I and I'm not judging anyone that doesn't have the amb- ambition because to, you know to run a household can be can be quite enough absolutely my yeah. in my kitchen is covered with notes because otherwise it's swimming around in my head um super interesting I've got one more question before oh. um, I let you go um <laughs> six days ago so that would have been last week I think so th- we're recording this on Wednesday so yep. I think this happened on Monday. Um, you did a post on your LinkedIn. Looking forward to speaking at the University of Edinburgh ah. Futures Institute about human-centred finance. Um, in essence, we believe it's no longer good enough for financial services firms to be customer-centric. That that might mean, um, especially for fintechs, um, what is is what we are doing we're going to explore book here so first of all what is a human-centered finance mean yeah so um i mean i guess the that contrast that i made in that linkedin post is helpful perhaps to explain that human centricity point so when we speak about customer centricity essentially what we're doing is we're reducing the human to the recipient of a service or product yeah their customer they, right. they have received a product. They have received a service. Okay. Yeah. However, when you think about the customer as a human, yeah. then you begin to think about that customer, you know, including their emotions, their instincts, their beliefs, their habits, the vulnerabilities, the context factors, the uh, all those things as well. Okay. And that results in a different type of, financial service or product um, as a as as a result of that um, i was using at that conference i was using some some examples of, of of what it might mean also you know you can also contrast it with user centricity you know of course we have user usability teams and user researchers who are really like putting a lot of work into understanding uh, you know how can we make the interface better and how can we make the activation journey faster and how you know can we make the password reset blah 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 all those <laughs> things okay but yeah. if you were if you were human centric you would actually seek to understand what are the deeper drivers, what are the deeper emotional drivers for why someone is interacting with a service in the first place. Okay, I would I would say that, you know, I mean, as an example, at Aegon, we have of course an Aegon app, and it's a great app. Okay, so it's user it's user friendly. It's you know it's a smooth activation journey. You can do lots of things uh, to check uh, pension value and uh, where you invested, etc. All those things you can do that. What I would say is not being acknowledged in that app is that most people, when they're logging in, their deeper down question is, will I be okay? Yeah. Yeah. Or they perhaps have seen there was some volatility in the markets and they're scared. Okay. Or they want to see like how they've been affected. So there are like deeper emotional reasons perhaps for why they are logging in to check their pension value. Okay. So that's, that's not typically what is being considered when you build an app. And, but of course, it has multiple um, suggestions for how you improve a product or a service if you consider that. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that, so, I mean, this was now, I've, I've used ourselves at Egon as an example here, but, you know, there's, I mean, there's this sort of like standard budget planners and there's like, you know, there's all sorts of innovative uh, projects and products in the fintech market. But typically what I would say is, they almost reduce the human to someone who would act in a rational and functionally and logically right way yeah. uh, if only they're getting the right information. Um, and, and and that's not what I mean with human-centric, right? Okay. So AI yeah. and advisors so my job is all about people it's about talking to people yeah. whether it's on zoom or some advisors do face-to-face i don't tend to anymore 
um, yeah. haven't done for about six years before COVID. Um, where do you see AI and that human centric piece with advisors and their role in it? I think AI can actually be really helpful um, when it comes to, I, I mean, you know, really in essence, what you need for human-centric finance is more human-centric skills okay so you need all the you need all the experience in you know executing deals and navigating tax regimes and blah 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 all those things you know that is important of course that is important will always remain important but more human-centric skills like psychological skills perhaps something out of neuroscience perhaps some basic understanding of behavioral finance etc that will be uh, really important as well uh, for that more human-centric type of financial advisor or financial service in general. I think where AI can really help is to uh, provide ideas for how you can build empathy with someone for perhaps who is having a fatalistic view, yeah, if you, to, yeah. to sort of um, instill more meaningful discussions. You know, how, so this is a bereavement case. You know, how can I express this, this letter, this email? How can I express that in a way that considers the fact that this person is at the is is, is mourning is mourning right so um, yeah. it's going through tough times. Um, I mean, you know, you need to know what questions to ask. That's why you still need the more sort of human centric skills yeah. as well. But I think AI can perhaps help you to to get there faster. Okay, and so human. Last question. I feel like that there was. I did say it was one more question ages ago, but it was more like the human centric. <laughs> and right. Have a bit of a gather worms. Um, excuse me so um, consumer duty for those that don't know mm. um, consumer duty was a regulation that came into place in the summer of this year we're recording this in 2023 and surprisingly you'd think this has already been in place but it's meant to um, encourage um, financial advisors to focus on outcomes so when we first speak to a client mm. when I first speak to a client we ask them, okay, what are you trying to achieve? What's your objective? I don't mm. talk about their Aegon pension or their Scottish yeah, yeah. pension. Or I do eventually get to that. It's really about what's your objective? What do you want to achieve? So at the end of this process of me helping you, what would have you? What would you have got from it? It doesn't mm. have to be a product. It doesn't have to be a, 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 anything particular. What emotion do you want to feel? What outcome do you want to have? And mm. that is then the premise of the whole conversation. Yeah. I've, I've been doing that for years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, basically saying we have to have that as part of our regulatory process. Mm. Um, which for some people who are very product driven in their advice mm. process, they've not done it before. It it might feel a little bit alien to begin with, but yeah. I think you become human centric and you start to have more meaningful conversations. Yeah, it, it should flow quite easily. Yeah. Um, so do you do you think that um, so do you think that sort of human centric the financial advisors will be shifting naturally more onto a human focused sort of questioning because of consumer duty? I think consumer duty is nudging us that way. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, when you take a step back uh, the last 20 years or so, I think you perhaps would agree that we had two major shifts. That was in the aftermath of 2008, we shifted from product centric to customer centric, right? Before 2008, it was all about the features of the product, profitability, the risk structure, the, you know, all those things. The, uh, yeah, the, yeah the, the, it was about the product. Um, then in the aftermath of 2008, and of course, we all know why, it was about, well, we've got to disclose, uh, you know, the risks to the customer and we've mm -hmm. got to make transparent, you know, what the, what the pros and cons are, et cetera. Uh, and that was also when we had the rise of behavioral science and, you know, uh, cleverer communications and, uh, you know, uh, firms like Aegon invested into their customer inside teams, et cetera, all those things. Now, I think what we're having with consumer duty is we're being nudged to that, what I mentioned earlier, from customer centric, customer centric to human centric. So we've yeah. got to appreciate that people have emotions, that they have beliefs, that they have biases, that they have, you know, just because you give them a 40 page terms and conditions document that outlines all the risks associated with the product does not mean that people will really read and understand that. Okay. So that is, but that, that is a very practical example of, you know, what it means to be human centric. You've got to just convey that in a way that humans brains work. Yeah. Yeah. And it's easy Don't to do think... as an advisor. Like it's really easy to say, Oh, here it is. Read yeah. that. And if... when you've got like 10 different things to deal with. And I, 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 I always offer a call 
um to say like let's go through this together but mm. it, it's, it's hard when you're under a lot of pressure as a business as a business owner as you know delivering to sure. clients um to to be on the on the ball with that all the time yeah like if you're honest like 100 percent of the time where you're having to stop it take it takes a lot of resource where i'm actually taking on another administrator um to yeah. help my client manager so mm. that we can deliver a better yeah. service yeah yeah, yeah, that's perfectly understandable. I, I will say, by the way, it's not just consumer duty, I think, that is nudging us that way. I think the future of financial advice will be much more, will be much less of the sort of investment gurus. It will be much more about like life coaching with a strong financial component in it yeah. um, because of all those trade-offs that we talked about earlier that make longevity such a hard thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, that make all those balancing acts like balancing the needs of the present self versus the needs of the future self um, both in terms of happiness but also in terms of money really really hard but I think that's where the future of financial advice likes lies to sort of you know na help people navigate that and make the right financial decisions along the way so that they can lead good lives love it I love it and that's, I almost feel like that's such a good place to end but I do want to just check in with you and say was there anything that you we haven't spoken about that you thought that you should mention before you came on the show today um no I think we no I think it was a great conversation I think we covered it all perhaps the one thing I would mention in passing if there are any German listeners yes. that I have published <laughs> a book on this uh particular subject that we that we talk about at Aegon uh, in the German-speaking world, just the German-speaking world, but it is in essence, um, in, in terms of the core concept, it is what we're, what we have been talking about, those 10 building blocks, the five money building blocks, the five mindset building blocks. Um, so yeah, so if you're German-speaking you can and you're interested in the subject, feel free. If you're not German-speaker, life's too short to learn German, don't worry. Uh, <laughs> But uh... <laughs> I did German at school, but um, speckety Deutsch, that's about all I can do. <laughs> <laughs> it's an awful language, I think, to be honest. But um, yeah. Uh, oh, do you think, so I must say your accent is um, really interesting, where it's got the German slash, like sometimes it's almost Irish, but it's not. It's like this twang of like the Scottish twang at the end. Oh, really? <laughs> interesting. Um, yeah, just listening to you speak. I, I, before you came on the show, um, I actually recorded your introduction and I did right. your bio intro. Um, I, I prefer not doing it with the person listening because okay. I always find it's really embarrassing that I deliver it in a certain tone or a certain way. <laughs> um, but I did mention your your book and I, I mentioned right. the fact that I'm trying to encourage you to put it into English because I'd love to read it. Um, <laughs> is that ever going to happen? Are you going to put it into English? I think potentially there's going to be an iteration of that um, book, uh, perhaps at some point later next year, where I perhaps highlight more the trade-offs point um, and why we are finding it really hard as humans, Yeah, considering our genetic and metabolic and uh, psychological and cognitive makeup, why we're finding it really hard to, um, to, to, to be you know, to be dealing with money in the way that financial advisors consider <laughs> the right way. Yeah, the right way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's, exactly. It's a whole engaging process, isn't it? It's not something you just think, oh, I'm going to go and speak to a financial advisor today. It's yeah. over months and months and months and several different conversations yeah. with different people that you then get the courage to go, right, okay, I'm going to, I need to do something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, well, watch yeah, this space. If, if that happens next year, I would love to um, have a copy. So please let me know. Yes, and maybe absolutely. Come back on the show and come and talk about the book and we, we can share the book. Um, but I will love be to. putting the German version in our show <laughs> notes for those that want to go and buy, they they can. Um, it's, been, it's been a pleasure having you today, Tom. It was Thank great. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, and um, yeah, what's what's up for you next? What's what's they gone up to next in behavioral science, behavioral and customer insights? So we do we do a lot in this um, space of um, translating financial well-being and what it means for our customers. Uh, what are the most important things that they've got to tackle? I mean, we talk a lot about self-knowledge, self-knowledge about what makes you happy, self-knowledge about how instincts and biases, et cetera, stand in the way, but also self-knowledge about what the future may bring. Um, so we, we talk a lot about self-knowledge as an asset. Uh, we're bringing this essence i think to mind uh, to to life for for both employers uh, because of course we sell a lot of our products to yes. through, through employers as well yeah. as to advisors as we help them transition from this you know old uh, value proposition of performance maximization to the new value proposition of well-being maximization so yeah we do we do a lot in that space 
um yeah more is to come and uh yeah either either through me uh perhaps through an account manager at Aegon or through my LinkedIn or the website or whatever you will you will come across it I'll, I'll just talk to you every now and again on LinkedIn I think that's yeah uh, that's, that's my, my tactic um it's been a pleasure enjoy the rest of your Wednesday thank you for joining us thank you it was a joy thank you so much for having me Rebecca thank you're you. welcome thank you for joining us on today's episode of Accelerate Your Wealth For further help or to connect with Rebecca directly, please head over to the website www.rebeccarobertson.co.uk where you can find further information on our planner, book and how to further maximise your wealth. Our sponsor, Evolution Financial Planning for regulated advice on pensions, investments, mortgages, insurances on www.evolutionfinancialplanning.co.uk